Friends and family in Christ, this sermon was written by Reverend Janet for us this morning. Let us pray for a quick recovery from illness, and let us pray that we might receive wisdom and insight from this meditation on the gospel. Each of the gospels portray Jesus in a particular light for a particular audience. The author of Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Therefore, Matthew's Jesus is portrayed as Israel's Messiah in whom God's purpose culminates and by whose words and life of his followers, the true Israel may gain divine forgiveness and fellowship. Do You see this in the fact that the Gospel of Matthew begins with a long tracing of Jesus' family tree all the way back to Abraham. In this way, the author proves that Jesus' teachings are not just profound, they are legitimate. It is in Matthew, not any of the other Gospels, that we find the assurance that Jesus has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we must remember what a Messiah meant to these early followers of Jesus, who did not yet call themselves Christians, who did not yet see themselves as belonging to a different religion. These were people who believed that a Messiah would be a new king from the lineage of David, a new king who would gather all the people of Israel, restore the nation, and rule the entire world in a time of peace, tranquility, and perfection. So here you have a body of Messianic believers who want to follow Jesus, who want to believe that he is the Messiah foretold. But the time of universal, universal, uh, sorry, but the time of universal peace and the reunification of Israel over 50 years or so has not taken place. To describe the messianic reign, the author of Matthew used parables. A few helpful cliff notes about parables here. One might at first glance think parables are complicated ideas with simple everyday examples that everyone could understand. Earthly stories with heavenly meanings. But look longer and you see that's not the case at all. Jesus does not tell simple stories to make hard things less confusing. He uses ridiculous and intentionally confusing stories instead of just speaking plainly. He says so in Matthew 13. The disciples asked, why do you speak in parables? They wanted to know. The disciples were confused and did not understand the parables. The only way to make sense of what Jesus said to them about seeing the truth was that Jesus said that he himself is the truth. The parables are about him Jesus, the truth, and they are the way that he proclaims his presence and tells everyone what he's up to. That's one point to always remember about parables. They are about Jesus. They're not about you or even me. They're not about how to be nice or what you need to do or how important it is to be generous or forgive or any number of other good things. The parables are about Jesus. There is a reason they seem bizarre and confusing, and that's because they are bizarre and confusing. Never in any of the Gospels did Jesus tell a parable and the people say, "Uh aha, now I get it. I was confused, but that cute story about sheep cleared it all up for me. No, it goes over their heads and they try to kill, or they try to kill Jesus. That's how people respond to parables. If we are honest with ourselves, sometimes the parables are upsetting. Sometimes they're upsetting because of the unfairness they describe. Hard work doesn't pay off. The unjust are rewarded. 
the better off a character seems, the worse off they really are. This is not a Hallmark Channel story with Jesus. They are difficult to understand, and there are those who use this particular scripture to frighten people into believing. Be on your guard, do what you're told, because you never know when Jesus will show up. And if you're not at your best, you run the risk of suffering eternally. I don't think this is what Jesus was telling us. First, as a friend of Janet's says, faith and fear don't mix. Throughout our sacred texts, we hear promises of life abundant, of joy. It's nigh impossible to be joyful when living in fear, and no one would describe the abundant life as one lived under the thumb of oppression. Second, knowing the context in which the scripture is written, we are aware that Matthew's community expected the imminent return of Jesus. As this gospel was written somewhere between the years 80 and 90, so about 50 years after Jesus' death, this audience was not like us. Some of the community may have been present when Jesus was alive. Some of them could have known someone who knew or was related to someone who had been present in Jesus' life. They were growing weary of waiting for Jesus' return. They really anticipated the great, peaceful, messianic reign to happen in their lifetime. So Matthew was writing to encourage them to keep the faith. It will happen. Israel will be restored. The world will know peace. Just keep doing what is called of you. That brings us to the third point. In chapters 24 and 25, there is a variety of descriptions of a messianic return, but we are not to parcel them out. They belong together as a literary cluster. The author tries various ways to tell us to do what we are called to do at all times. We learn of the fig tree that doesn't bear fruit, the wise and faithful servants, the gift of talents, the sheep and the goats, and our bridesmaids of today. Weddings were events that lasted for days back then. People traveled to attend the festivities. The groom and the bride would not have been the ones planning the event. This was something arranged by parents. Important marriage property negotiations may have continued up until the time of the wedding. Bridesmaids were dispatched to wait for the groom who would only appear after all the business negotiations were complete. When he arrived, the bridesmaids escorted the groom to the awaiting guests and the festivities taking place. Sometimes negotiations delayed the groom's appearance at the wedding and the bridesmaids would have to wait overnight or even days. In this time, at this place, everyone knew what the job of the bridesmaid was, to light the path for the groom if it were to be dark. Everyone knew that if one was a bridesmaid, one might have to wait and wait and wait while the groom's family and the bride's family negotiated the marriage contract and the property to be exchanged. To that end, all bridesmaids knew they were to bring a lamp and a flask of oil because the wait for the groom could be long. Half of the bridesmaids in today's scripture did what was expected of them, and half showed up unprepared. When they realize they have no oil to light the way, they scurry off to the local oil dealer to buy some flasks. 
while they're off taking care of something that should have been tended to before they showed up to do their jobs, the groom arrives, is escorted to the wedding, and when they get there, they're told, sorry, you're not needed. We could read this as a story of these bridesmaids kicked out of the party and nowhere to go ever. But when we read all the parables of chapters 24 and 25, we see the culmination of all of them in chapter 25, verses 34 to 40. These verses take place after the king has separated people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. It is written, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when, it was, when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And there it is. We know the messianic reign, the beloved community, the kingdom of God, when we behave as if everyone we meet is God. We know the messianic reign, the beloved community, the kingdom of God, when we live our lives doing things with vigor and purpose, the same vigor and purpose we would if we knew we were doing it for God. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say, half measures avail us nothing. As the Reverend Claire Clyburn says, this parable is about the Christ who comes to us in unexpected times and ways and places. You can look for him in the halls of power, but he rarely shows up there, no matter who is occupying the chair and the nice desk. For reasons unknown to us, the scriptures make quite clear that God has chosen the church as his presence on earth, not the government, not even something as beautiful as democracy. Sure, we can agree that God can use anything and everything, but Christians who want to have power in the hope that they can use power for their ends, even when those ends are good, will learn the hard truth, usually in a hard way, that power has a way of turning Christians to its own end rather than the other way around. It was in his last week on earth when Jesus tells the story about how he will indeed show up in unexpected times and places. Those hearing it could only puzzle. They expected a king to show up at a palace, not in the garbage area outside of town. They expected a crown of gold, not thorns. They expected victory speeches, not cries from the cross. 
They expected their side to win, not to have their leader beaten, sentenced to death. But this is where he was. It was the wrong place, but the right time. The wise bridesmaids did not spend time worrying about whether or not the bridegroom came at the right time. All they focused on was that it was indeed the groom they had been waiting for. And they went where he needed to be. Most days we are offered simple, most days we're offered ample opportunities to see the beloved community. Often we're busy looking the other direction. We are to stay aware, to be prepared, not because we are afraid of being cast out, of living in eternal torture. We stay aware, we practice the talents we've been given because at any moment, the face of God may be before us. The beloved community, the kingdom of God may be made known. And who wants to miss that? So carry your oil, keep your wicks trimmed, Open your eyes and expect the beautiful. Be a part of it. Amen.